You know, it's funny how things work out sometimes. I had planned this week to have a somewhat brief lesson tonight as a follow-up of what we studied this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and following. And about 10 minutes before service started, I found out that Steve Lloyd covered the exact same material this morning in Bible class. And I didn't know that. I didn't even know Steve Lloyd was teaching Bible class this morning. It shows how unconnected that I am. So let's have the invitation and we'll go home. All right, who said that? Well, we're going to be studying from Romans chapter 16 tonight, just briefly. And the reason that I wanted us to look at this context is because this morning, of course, we spent time in Ephesians chapter 4, and the purpose of that study was to emphasize the point that every member of the body of Christ has an effect on the overall health of the congregation as a whole. And so when every Christian grows, then the church grows. And if Christians are not growing, then the church is not going to be growing in strength either. Now, the Bible uses a lot of different terms and paints a lot of different pictures in describing the church. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, we have the church, which is called the house of God and the pillar and the ground of truth. It's called the temple of God in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and following. It's called the bride of Christ in Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5. It's called the body of Christ in Ephesians chapter 1. It's the army of God in Ephesians chapter 6 and the kingdom of God in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. And it's described as the household of faith in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 10. Every one of these images and every one of these pictures that describe the church are very important. And when you study them and you study what's contained within each one of those pictures, you're going to learn a great deal about what the church is all about. But every one of those pictures at its base level has one thing in common, and that is this, that it describes the fact that the church is composed of people. We know that the church is not the building, it's not uh, a structure of any kind. The church is the people. We talked this morning about the the designation Church of Christ and how that is a designation that uh, describes ownership, that we're talking about the people who have been called by the gospel to come out of the world and who belong to God and who belong to Christ. So the Church of Christ is simply the people that belong to Christ. Now, what kind of people? We talked this morning about how every member of the body ought to be trying to grow spiritually and how every member who grows spiritually is going to have an impact on the congregation in a positive way. And you might be thinking, you might be wondering, well, who am I? How is it that my uh, spiritual growth or how is it that anything that I could do can have any effect on the body of Christ? After all, I'm... I'm pretty insignificant. Well, this is the reason why I want us to study, or at least just briefly overview, first, excuse me, Romans chapter 16 tonight. And in this chapter, we're going to find 33 different people who are named. We won't 
spend a lot of time talking about all 33 of those people, but we'll briefly touch on most or all of them. And as we go through this list, what we find are a number of different things. We find those who sent greetings to the church from Paul. We find those whom Paul sent greetings to in the church at Rome. We find men and we find women. We find those who were wealthy and those who are not so wealthy. We find those whose names are Greek and those whose names are Jewish. We find those who are slaves and those who are free. We find a number of different individuals represented throughout this chapter, but one thing about them is that they all had some impact and some role to play in the work that the Apostle Paul was doing and in the work that the church in Rome was doing as well. And so as we study them, hopefully we'll be able to find some sense of encouragement and some sense of understanding in the fact that the church is composed of people of all kinds and there are no people who are members of the church of Christ who have nothing to add and who have no value. The chapter begins by talking about Phoebe in the first two verses. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord, he says, in a matter worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Notice the descriptive terms that Paul applies to this sister in Christ. He calls her first a sister. She's someone who's obeyed the gospel. She is a member of the body of Jesus Christ. She is also described as a servant. She is one who serves in the congregation where she is. She is described as a saint in verse number one. And a saint, of course, is one who has been made holy. And she is also described, and most notably so, as a helper. Paul says, she's helped me, and he says, she's helped many others also. He describes her as being someone who is from Centria, which is an eastern, port, uh, an eastern port in the city of Corinth. And this particular word, helper, that Paul uses has meaning. The word may very well indicate that she was a businesswoman of some rank. And many have suggested that it is very possible that she is one who worked in what the ancient world knew as a patron-client sort of relationship, meaning that she was one who was wealthy. And it very well may have been that she supplied maybe the money that made some of Paul's work possible. It may have been that she supplied the money that made the purchasing of the materials to write this letter possible. It may have been that she had supplied uh, some of the money to help uh, make the work of the church in a number of locales possible. There's no way to know on this side of eternity, but the word in the Greek New Testament that's translated as helper, it has that kind of a connotation. Either way, we have a sister in Christ who, without question, is someone who Paul wants, uh, who, uh, someone who Paul views to be noteworthy. And someone that Paul wants us to take notice of. She is a sister who is a servant and a saint and a helper. But then in the next few verses we read about a married couple. And their name is Priscilla and Aquila. You know them, their names, I'm sure. Paul instructs, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life. 
to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles likewise greet the church that is in their house. Now we learn about Priscilla and Aquila from Acts chapter 18 and verse number 2 that they lived in Corinth during the time of Paul's arrival from Athens. In fact, the Bible tells us that they originally were from Rome and that they had made their way to Corinth because Claudius Caesar had issued a decree or an edict removing all of the Jews from Rome because of problems that were caused in the name of Crestus or in the name of Christ. And so when Paul arrives there in Corinth in Acts chapter 18, he finds this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, there. And the Bible tells us also about these Um, that uh, they were tent makers. And so when Paul left Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16, Aquila and Priscilla traveled with him as far as Ephesus, he tells us. And the Bible tells us in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 18, they met Apollos and they instructed him more thoroughly in the Christian faith. And these are, uh, this uh, couple stands as a model for a number of reasons. Number one, they're hospitable, and Paul talks about hospitality, incidentally, in this book in chapter 12 and verse 13. Second, they're loyal and they're faithful, and Paul identifies in verse number four that they risk their own necks for my life. They put their lives on the line to save him, but they were also educated in the word of God, and they had the ability, and they took the opportunity to teach people about what the scripture said, and they did it as a married couple. Acts chapter 18, verse 24 to 26. So if I am married, if I am a couple, and my wife and I, my spouse and I are Christians, members of the body of Christ, this is the kind of thing that we're looking for in God's word. This is the kind of couple that we want to view as a model. Later on in this verse, in verse number 5, we read about um, Epinatus. And Epinatus is described as uh, the first fruits of Achaia to Christ which seems to have reference to the fact that he was the first convert in, the, in this particular province of Asia who later either moved or traveled to Rome. Incidentally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 5, we read about the house of Stephanus and how they're described as the first fruits in, uh, in this area as well in Asia. And so perhaps there's a connection here. As the verses go on, verses 6 to 10... We read about Mary, and all we know about her is that she labored much. We read about Andronicus, and one extra-biblical source tells us that he had become a Christian uh, before Paul and may have been uh, well-known as a traveling evangelist or companion of some sort. We read about Junia and Amplius. I'm not going to say all of these correctly. We don't know anything else about them save what Paul says here. Urbanus, the same thing. We don't know anything about him except that he was a fellow worker. And Stachys is referred as Paul's beloved or as someone who is beloved. And Apelles, who is described as someone who is approved in Christ. Now think about this for a moment. We don't know a lot about these individuals. In fact, all we know is what's written in this chapter. But think about what's written. And though it's short, it actually packs a punch. Paul uses words like fellow worker and beloved and approved in Christ. I want you to think for a moment about someone who's uh, presenting your eulogy. Eulogy, literally they're speaking well of you. They're uh, summarizing and speaking well of the life that you've lived. And what are some of the things that they would say? 
These are some of the words. These are some of the ideas. These are some of the principles of New Testament Christianity that we would do well to strive for as far as those things that someone might say summarize us and describe who we are. When they're talking about how we lived, we pray that they can refer to us as those who are fellow workers and those who are servants and those who are approved in Christ. The next group, verse 10 through verse 12, we read about Aristobulus. An old tradition says that he was the brother of Barnabas and eventually became an elder, uh, was ordained an elder by Paul and Barnabas. Again, that's extra biblical tradition, so you take it with a grain of salt. There's uh, Herodian, perhaps a Jewish Christian in Rome, uh, and Paul felt compelled to greet him. There's Narcissus, and Paul sends greetings to his household, and it's not said uh, whether or not he was a Christian, but Paul sends greetings to him anyway. There's Tryphena and Tryposa, and these women are said to have labored in the Lord. Some believe that maybe they they might have even been sisters. We keep reading about a number of others, Uh, Those uh, Perseus and Rufus and a number of other names that I'm not going to try to pronounce in verses 13 to 15. Read the greetings and we don't know much about them at all other than what Paul says. But he sees fit to mention their names. Now I want you to skip down with me toward the latter part of the chapter in verse number 21 and we'll come back in a moment. Look at some of the other names that you see. You see Timothy, who is Paul's true son in the faith, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He's Paul's chief associate, and um, he is mentioned as a joint sender in, in six of Paul's epistles. There's Lucius, who could be the same one we read about in Acts chapter 13, verse number 1. There's Jason, who could also be the same Jason we read about in Acts chapter 17, verse 5 to 9. Which would be remarkable because in Acts 17, verse 5 to 9, you remember that Jason is the one who basically is used as a scapegoat when Paul is in Thessalonica and the unbelieving Jews cause a great deal of trouble. But then also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 to 10, we begin reading about how when Paul travels to different places in Macedonia and Achaia, that the word, the reputation of those Thessalonian brethren has traveled uh, ahead of him. And how the word of the Lord has extended and has traveled all over the place because of the work that they had done. And it gives us pause and causes us to wonder if perhaps Jason is partially responsible for that. If this is the same Jason that we read about in Acts 17, did he become a preacher? Did he become a missionary? Is he someone that Thessalonica sent uh, in order to do the work of the gospel on their behalf? There are some others, Sosipater and Tertius and Gaius. There are four different Gaiuses mentioned in the New Testament. It's impossible to know which one this is. And then there's Erastus. He's described as one who is beloved And he is the treasurer of the city in Romans chapter 16 and verse number 23. An interesting side note in history is that there's an inscription that's been found, the Erastus inscription. And if this is certain, if this is him, and it's very possible that it was, then um, he very well may be the earliest Christian name attested outside of the Bible. Now, there are a number of other folks who are mentioned, but I want you to go back and I want you to notice verse 16 to 20. You think about verse 1 to 16, 
and uh, you think about verse 21 through 24, and you see a number of people who are mentioned, and they're all mentioned for things that are good, all mentioned for things that are praiseworthy. But what about those in verse 16 to 20 who are not worthy of being mentioned? Those who are not mentioned because of anything that's praiseworthy. We have the passage in verse 16 to greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. This greeting, of course, is a type of cultural greeting. It's a a sign of friendship and a sign of fellowship. But then in verse number 17, we have a statement of contrast in which Paul says there are certain folks that you do not need to greet. Instead, in fact, of greeting them, you need to mark them and you need to avoid them. Well, who are they? These are those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned. He says, avoid them, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ with their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. We have an amazing contrast in this one chapter. We have a large group of people who are commended, and then a very small group of people who are rejected. And the difference seems to be, the difference seems to be the emphasis of their life and their work. There's either someone who is striving to serve God and to please him and to serve and to build up the church, or there are those who are trying to not serve God. They're not interested in pleasing him. And instead of trying to build up the church, what they're interested in doing is weakening and tearing down the church. I find it also interesting to think about this statement in light of the previous chapters in the book of Romans. Like, for example, in Romans chapter 14, we read all about matters of judgment and matters of opinion. Realize that there's a point at which a matter of judgment or a matter of opinion may very well become a matter of doctrine. Let me tell you what, let me uh, uh, explain what I mean. Don't you find it interesting that Paul in Romans chapter 14, he talks about the fact that there are these matters of judgment and he says, you need to be very careful not to push a matter of judgment to the point where it becomes a a bone of contention within the body of Christ. He says, if you do that, that you, you cause problems and you cause division within the body of Christ. Isn't that exactly what Paul is describing in Romans 16, verse 17 and 18? Those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine of Christ. In other words, if I take a matter of opinion and I push it so far that I come uh, because a problem within the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, would I not fall under the same condemnation as those who teach false doctrine in Romans 16, verse 17 and 18? Because the end result is essentially the same. Harm has been caused to the body. And we have a contrast in this chapter between those who cause harm to the body and those who try to promote the health of the body of Jesus Christ. Now remember this morning we talked in Ephesians chapter 4 about the importance of every member of the body of Christ working to grow spiritually and how that impacts the church as a whole. And this is one chapter, one context among many in the New Testament, in the Bible really as a whole, where the Bible emphasizes that there is a place and there is a role for every person. There are men in this list. There are women. There are married couples. There are those who are single. There are slaves. There are free. There are rich. There are poor. But every person, every person plays an important role in the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that same principle applies today to this congregation and to every congregation of the church throughout the world. 
So find encouragement in looking at passages like this and noting that everyday people, common people who, just like us, get up in the morning and they go to work and they uh, deal with raising their families and paying their bills and taking care of their homes, everyday people, they can have a positive impact in the work of our God and in his kingdom. We're going to offer the Lord's invitation tonight, and it may be that there's someone here now who has a a need to respond, maybe to become a child of God, or maybe you are a Christian, but as you think about the work that you've been doing in the kingdom, maybe it's not what it should. And maybe we can pray with you and for you and give you some encouragement that you might uh, excel and grow in the work of God. If you have need, come forward and let it be known while we stand and sing the invitation song together.